Hey, this is Fireman Rob. You know, optimal performance isn't something that happens just by accident. I know this for a fact from being a fireman and doing way too many Ironman triathlons and full firefighter gear. But everybody always asks me, what's your secret? I can give you one secret. That's the right stuff, hydration. Hydration is important when it comes to being present in the moment, ready to run into the fires and being capable of showing up every single time at your best. The Right Stuff was created for NASA by NASA for their astronauts. Now it's trusted by professional athletes in Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL, and most of the top tier college sports. It's not an accident to prepare yourself to be great. If you're looking for that next edge, go to therightstuff-usa.com and enter the code FIREMANROB and you'll get 10% off at your checkout. This is an opportunity I wouldn't pass up. I have and still do use The Right Stuff. It's serious hydration for serious athletes, from the weekend warriors to those on the front lines. Make this a part of your habits to be the best you daily. Welcome, right, welcome to, Forged to Forged in the, the Fires, Fires podcast, podcast with Fireman Rob. Fireman Rob. Being Today's a fireman, father, veteran, husband, world record holder, and Ironman, he brings um, stories he of experience to impact your life while challenging you to live it. What do you want from your life? Why do you want it? Are you willing to go through the challenges to get there? If you have the courage to take that first step, let this podcast be the catalyst to start your fire while you bring the resilience to make it continue to burn. Our lives are made up of moments called right now. So let's get started. Forged in the Fires podcast with your host, Fireman Rob, begins now. Doug Monda, so great to have you on today. Man, thank you, brother. I'm I'm honored to be on your show, man. We got the same love, the same love. Stay by your side, it's right or die. We've got the same love. We need each other. I love it. And, and, you know, I think it's one of those things like your, your history, your career. I mean, you've worked with the, the DEA, you've worked in side by side with the FBI, ATF, border patrol. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And, and yet when you talk, when I talked with you, like the first time, like you said, you're so humble. Now, how how did you get to that point of being able to be that person who, you know, is larger than life when somebody reads your bio, but yet is so relatable? I mean, it's it's not an easy thing to do, right? No, no. Um, when I hear somebody read my bio, I, the first thing I think of is that I was prostituted. Amongst <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> I was like, man. I was ready to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely <laughs> prostituted. But um, I, I was just lucky, man. You know, my, my older brother always tells me, like, I'm the dude who steps in dog do and it turns gold on my shoe. And uh, <laughs> that's, what, that's his saying, whatever that means. But, I uh, love it. I've just, I've just been lucky. I, I worked in... So I, I didn't work for Cocoa Beach. Uh, I worked for uh, I, a lot of people get confused because I live in Cocoa Beach, but ah, that's right. I work I work for a city called Cocoa. And, Cocoa, uh, okay. obviously Cocoa Cocoa Beach, right? But two different places. Uh, Cocoa is like twenty thousand people. It's not a very big town, but seventeen thousand of them twenty are government housing. And section eight. seriously so oh yeah yeah so you know what time it is it's oh it's yeah the hood. it's yeah. the hood and uh it's usually in the top 10 uh per capita for violent crime 
And uh, so it, it was just a high speed job, um, you know, two to four times a week, uh, SWAT stuff. Uh, we were pretty, pretty high speed. And uh, yeah, man. And I just, uh, my, my career just took me to all those, uh, all those things in my bio, man. I'm, you, you ask how I got humbled because I got my ass kicked so many times. That's how you get humbled, <laughs> man. That is how I got humbled. Uh, I have taken more beatings than anybody, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm full of metal and screws. And, but, uh, I hear you I'm there. Still, I'm still kicking, man. I'm still I, kicking. I, and I love it because, you know, you hear all those things and you think of like just a hardened man, like a, like a, like a man's man, but yet you're, it took you a while, right? But you've gotten to that point of being able to actually look at yourself from the, from the mindset um, category and, and look at it from like, how do you become Doug, not the guy kicking in the doors? That wasn't easy, was it? No, that, that was literally the one most difficult thing. Uh, you know, I, I, I tell people sometimes, like, I, I can fight anybody. I'm not scared. I've been trained, right? None of that stuff. Right. The one dude that I cannot beat is myself. And that was the hardest task. As you know, being an Ironman triathlete, that's, one, if not the most difficult thing you've ever put on your plate in your life. Yeah. And, and I thought that for, for many, many years. And the hardest thing was transitioning from an agent to a dad by the time I pulled into the driveway. When I yeah. pulled in the driveway, I literally was unable. At, at, at some point in my career, I lost the ability to transition into the dad and it impacted my family, my kids, my wife. It impacted us greatly. And that has been the hardest task that I've had to deal with so far. That's, I mean, and it's not an easy thing to even, I mean, how long did it take you to actually start to um, verbalize that that was, that was a flaw in essence? That's what I mean. That's what I consider in self and mind. But what what did you consider itself? What did you consider that that piece? And then how long did it take you to actually start to verbalize that? Well, you know, it's I, I'm really obviously with my my brain injury, I'm bad with dates and remembering. But yeah, it, you know, I from when I was a, a cop, you know, for many many years or an agent, um, you know, I retired in 2018. And I still, you know, at times have, have issues, uh, you know, right. family issues, you know, being a, you know, I work on it continuously every day, but I'd say probably about, you know, Karen, um, you know, you know, Karen, uh, oh, personally, yeah. uh, she's really the one who, and people ask me how she loved me so hard that that's how I was able to do it. I know that sounds kind of weird, but no, it's freaking awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's how I've, and now all my kids are gone. They're all in the military. So it's, it's super easy to come home and transition into a dad. All I gotta do is pick up the phone once in a while, but, right. um, it, yeah, it, it was, it was difficult. It probably took and continuous care five, 10 years easily. Jeez. 
Yeah. And, and, and you, you say that was one of the tougher things. Like what, if you, when you look back on your career, like what was one of those moments where you looked at and you go, holy crap, I'm not going to get out of this. Was it, did you have one of those holy crap moments or probably a few of them, I'm guessing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a few. I, yeah, I, we I we only have out. a 30 minute <laughs> show over there, Doug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, you would think with my background, obviously, uh, from Blackwater all the way uh, across the board, you would think, you know, but I'll tell you, one of the, the uh, hardest things that I ever dealt with was uh, a 12 year old girl um, getting hit by a car on my way home from work on Christmas Eve. Right. And I stopped on my way home. And it, that out of all the stuff that thing was there i can remember that was crazy turning my career and turning my attitude and my mentality everything changed in in that moment and that's when i that was the start of becoming a different guy that's crazy that's great and it wasn't even while you were at work i was on my it was christmas eve it was like five o'clock and and it was um I was, I had just bought a little Honda 50 for my son. And I was so excited to be able to buy my son a dirt bike. He was only like five years old. He couldn't even freaking ride the thing. But I <laughs> wanted him to have it, right? Because I had right. him when I was a little kid. And, and I had it in the backseat of my police car. And I'd only been a cop a, a short amount of time during this era. And I was hauling butt home. I was still in the city I worked in. And I, that call came out and I was on that road and I, I wish I would have never seen that little girl's face. You know what I mean? Oh my gosh. And I went home and when I got home, my, my former wife, uh, wife number one, she, <laughs> she, I've only been married twice. I'm not like most cops that are three, yeah. five. I'm, I'm on number two. Number two, um, number two. Yeah, number two. My my first wife, she was so she was mad because I was late for a Christmas Eve dinner and stuff. And oh, crazy. and when I told her what happened, she looked at me and and I'm not dogging her. I get it. She no, looked at me and she goes, "Thanks for ruining my Christmas too." She didn't mean it in a negative way. She was so upset uh, right. about it. And from that moment on, I never came home and talked about my job. And that was a problem as well it's a well. huge problem huge wow that's problem that's and crazy i did not talk about my job until i met karen that's crazy now what what did you so when you were processing it you never really processed anything then no never never um you know shortly uh probably shortly after that i went to hurricane katrina i was one of the first teams to go in to Jeez. katrina and so, you know, just like everybody saw on TV, you know, bodies floating in the water and, and, and kicking doors in of houses and finding people floating, all that stuff I, I was exposed to. And when I came home, it was right back to work. And, and wow. that, that incident lasted, it was, I, I think, the catalyst of triggering off post-traumatic stress disorder and, and, you know, I'm a Florida boy. I've been through every hurricane known to man from, right. you know, since right. I was born. And so it's not something new to me, but 
the way that people acted in Louisiana during that event, the way they treated each other, treated us, that lack of humanity is what impacted me in that era to start this. That's crazy. I'm still to this day impacted by, by that. I have not been back to that area since, nor will I ever want to go or do I care to go. But um, yeah, that was it. And that, and that just, and that's, I think a lot of people don't understand is that these things are literally live with you and that it's not like you're not trying to get rid of it, that you're, you know, it's not, it's not like a bad pair of shoes where you just throw it in the garbage and, and you're done with it. It's right. something that lives in the back and it's not like you're not trying. It just, it just lives there. It, you own it is the term that I use. Yeah. Um, yeah. It lives there forever. And you know, I, I live at conferences and, and all this uh, bull crap that in the industry of law enforcement, mental health and wellness, I've obviously I'm, I'm in that circle. And um, I listen to people go, oh, you can fix this and you can do this. And, and I'm like, listen, have you, go pound you, sand. Yeah, you, you, you cannot shoot somebody in the face and never see that face again. You own that. I will never forget that little girl's face, nor, and I don't care what voodoo they use, you you own it, you, you own it. And, uh, and so what I've had to do is learn to live with all these images and memories. That's a, that's such a hard thing. And I think it's a hard thing for people to understand that it's like, everybody has those challenges and those struggles and the traumas they've went through in their life. But, you know, it's the compounding, um, traumas that, you know, in your line of work, fire service, military, that people go through that, you know, it's not, you're not just carrying one bag. <laughs> no, no, uh, no. And, it, and it's not one that you can just dump on the, on the bed and say, okay, I'm done with that. I'm going to just go on another trip. I mean, for you, what was it? What was that outlet that you found um, that works now? Because obviously things change over time and, you know, Karen helped you a lot. But what does that outlet now look like for you? Well, you know, the optimum outlet for me is obviously triathlon and swimming and biking and running and and surfing. You know, I'm I'm a beach kid. I live on the beach. and It's always been my favorite thing (laughs) to do. Um, Love it. You know, I'm just one of them little surf rats. But, um, you know, I, I... as you know, I, I got run over by a kid um, on the job. An 11-year-old yeah. kid stole a truck and plowed me into a tree, and I broke my back. And that literally, that moment, rerouted the things that I used as an outlet. Now, I've popped up here and there and done a few, you know, like this summer. I did Alcatraz. It wasn't pretty. I walked, you know, the whole run because, you know, I can't run like I used to. But yeah. um, these injuries and, and things that I encountered are taking a toll on me now. Um, so I've had to learn how to live life differently, like a total 360. I've had to, yeah. um, you know, I've had to do things. You know, I used to live on, behind a sniper rifle and train in, and, and now I do puzzles. I went, I went, I went, I went publicize that, Doug. Now, now you just lost all that credibility. Yeah. Well, it's just the truth, man. As long as they're not kitty cat puzzles. (laughs) uh, Karen has asked me to do a cat puzzle with her. uh, 
but uh, <laughs> I, I I tend to uh, avoid that. But uh, oh, I love it. Yeah, that's just um, that's you know uh, I have a pretty significant brain uh, injury, right. and so the the puzzles and things like that help me keep my mind sharp and uh, and things like that. Get it going, yeah. and you know I struggle with that. And and what is the like when you're doing those puzzles? And I know it's got to be, you know, it's got to be hard for you to to say now I do fucking puzzles. It's (laughs) it's it's, it is it's it's very difficult, and I I I struggle quite a bit um, with with that. You know what I mean? I I when my presentation I do a segment on retirement. Yeah, and. You know, I, I retired at 48 years old, not because it, even though I'd been a cop, you know, I'd done my time. I yeah. would have kept going. I was only 48 and I loved what I was doing. But um, my body just and my mind, I just really couldn't do it anymore. You, you know, you know me personally. I struggled daily. And yeah. uh, so it was time for me to go. And I, I was happy. Like when, you know, who wouldn't be happy and go like, cause my oh, yeah. pay, you know, they pay me to stay home. I got my whole pay and everything. And they go, Hey, just go home and lick your wounds for the rest of your life. <laughs> and, uh, I had just wow. like, right before I retired, I got stabbed three times one night at work. And oh, so God. they, they were just, it, it was time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, I, I, I wasn't the average, uh, you know, cop and So I was banging it out all day, every day. And, uh, so anyway, I'm home, I'm like two weeks into it and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to smoke cigars and I'm going to fish and I'm going to sit on the beach. And I flipped out one day. I was in my bedroom and I, I kid you not, man, I'm, I'm folding towels. I'm doing laundry. <laughs> and, uh, cause I'm oh, just, man. you know, I'm so hyper and, you know, uh-huh. and I'm doing the towels and all of a sudden I had this, radical anxiety attack and so i called karen and uh and you know she was at work i called her and she said well what are you doing and i said i'm folding towels and she goes well what's wrong with that and i told her i said two weeks ago i was an assassin and now i'm a house bitch that's what i told her i'm a house bitch and she just she just did what you just did oh, and started God. laughing because it sounded funny, but I was serious as a you were serious as could be, yeah. And uh, and I've been this I've been serious about it ever since. But yeah, uh, you know she she and and quite a few other people were like, yeah, you were, but thank you. It's now it's your turn to you know rest. And yeah. uh, it, it's been difficult to uh, to accept that. You know what I mean? Now, oh, yeah. I, it's been difficult, but it also is very nice that, you know, I wake up on Monday morning and I go, oh, yeah, I, I don't have to go to work this week. So That's a huge, that's a huge thing. But that kind of transitions perfectly to what you guys are doing now with Survive First and, you know, trying behind the badge. I mean, you're taking your story, your, your message, your, you know, your hurt, your transition, all that stuff. You're putting that into uh, helping others. I mean, I love the tagline, you know, together we make a difference together. We save lives. What was that? What was that first step to creating that survive first foundation? Because that, that couldn't be easy to be able to be vulnerable like that. 
No, it, it, it wasn't. And um, I, I just was asked that question. I was at Chicago PD and um, I told him, I said, I, the day I, I, I accepted it, um, when I came back to work, which after, you know, putting a gun to your head and pulling the trigger to go back to right. the work, um, you know, after my hospital stay and, and treatment, I went back to work and uh, I was welcomed back with open arms. Um, I'm lucky. I had a chief, a police chief that supported me 100 percent. And I sat down. Um, I, I came that morning and um, being a drug agent, I didn't have to do anything I didn't want. And, you know, I, I sat in the ivory tower. I just, you know, it's not hard <laughs> buying drugs and being right. undercover and, uh, and selling drugs. Uh, it's pretty easy. So I go into roll call just to say hi to my guys and my SWAT guys that work for me and all that stuff. And um, I sat down at the table and one of my SWAT guys, he was sitting next to me. Uh, I say table like roll call, right? Right. And he leans over and he goes, hey, man, he goes, can I talk to you? And I go, yeah, sure. And I figured he wanted to ask, you know, hey, what did they put you in a straight jacket? You know, the, the dumb <laughs> questions. And, uh, right. And he I said, yeah, sure. What's up, man? And he said, I'm struggling. I need help. Huh. And and I looked at him and I love this dude to, to this day. I, I still I love this guy with all my heart. He's, uh, he's one of my brothers, man. And yeah. um, at that moment, I went, I am not the only one hurting. And I looked around the room and I looked at the, my guys that I've, you know, that have been in shootings, that I've been into it with, the, you know, all that type of stuff. And I realized I wasn't the only one hurting. Huh. And at that moment, I decided I was going to do something about it. I was going to make sure that my guys got taken care of. And what the process was is I knew that cops by this point were not going to get help because they, one, didn't want to let the cat out of the bag, so to speak, like I did. Um, What's the term they use, Rob? Like a stigma, you know? Yeah, the stigma, yeah. uh, Right? And then um, they won't pay for it. Well, first right. of all, cops are cheap anyway. They want everything for free. <laughs> so and, are firefighters. Don't let's right. not get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God yeah, forbid a cop pays for a cup of coffee. You know, have a yeah. freaking heart attack, right? <laughs> to, include my, to include myself, you know. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm punking them out, but I'm punking myself out as well. And uh, I, I don't think I've ever paid for a cup of coffee in my life until I retired. So exactly. I, um, and uh, and I still hate paying for coffee, man. It's no, I know. <laughs> so um, I, I, I knew that. And so what I did is I had uh, a police chief um, who was an FBI and a guy, uh, you know, national. You know, those guys are kind of been around and been there and done it. Yep. And I, I knew that he would have the answers. I, I had this ton of respect for this guy. He is now my vice president. And oh, um awesome. I told him what I wanted to do and him and a couple other guys in that realm, they helped me because I didn't have the background or the knowledge and they helped me get it going and they believed in it. And they also saw it with their own eyes. They, they had yeah. a suicide in their department and, you know, most cops and firefighters have grown up in the industry with a suicide in their department. Just it's that common, unfortunately. Yep. And uh, 
and that that's literally that's how survive first got started and and where we are today is uh, amazing it's it's awesome and I, and I love that you have request assistance button right on the top you go to survivefirst.us um if if it's something that you know you need you know somebody who needs it um make sure you do that survivefirst.us um it's it's so valuable to have um somebody like yourself to be able to give those stories you know what do you what do you see the power of you you and your wife karen what what does that power deliver to other people because you have both sides of the message and both of you are very good at telling that story how how powerful is that when you both are able to talk about that and you see those uh, light bulbs go on with other people that's pretty powerful man um you know i i tell people it's real easy to take somebody's life uh, it, it, it's super easy. You can train, you can train anybody to do it, but right. to save a life and to save a family and to save a marriage is the most rewarding thing um, that, that I've experienced and to see them smile. And it's the most powerful thing that I've experienced um, through doing this. And, and I, I think where I resonate the most with people is um, most cops look at my resume, and you know, yep. cops and firefighters. You, you, if you're not a cop or a firefighter, we don't care what you say. We're, yeah. we, you know, we don't. <laughs> exactly. We don't care exactly. what you say. You're, yep. You've got to earn our respect, and and you know, it's just the way we are. And um, so most cops and and guys see my uh, my resume, and they go, "Well, whole crap, man! If it can happen to this dude, then it can yeah. happen to me." And, um, and I think that's worked the best for me. Um, it's just, uh, you know, being one of the guys and been there and done that. And so when people talk to me and they tell me something, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, for Karen as a wife, cause survive first, I don't know if you know this, but we help family members also. That's, so yeah, our, our resources are for families as well. Um, yeah, it, it, it is. Uh, we, we help a lot of family members just as much as we do first responders. And, um, you know, Karen is living proof of living with a guy who wanted to kill himself for years every day of the week. Um, right. And I ruined, you know, I ruined my relationships and, you know, all the horrible things I did within the house to include, you know, treating my wife. She was my girlfriend at the time, but, um, yeah, I treated her bad, man. I was running around town like, like every other man whore cop. And, uh, and I, I, I was not a happy person. I was very disgruntled and miserable and, you know, I had a death wish, you know, as some people might call it. And, uh, I, I trashed everything and she just, Never what she tells wives is she never looked at what I was doing. She looked at why I was doing it. And that is, yeah, because most wives and and my wife's Latin too, as you know, like you don't piss off a Latin woman. You're going to get stabbed or shot or something, man. Oh yeah. uh, Right. And, but she, she didn't do that, man. She, to this, very moment man she uh she just lived to make sure that i got help 
And she looked at all the reasons why I was acting that way and, and doing the things I was doing. And she researched and she studied and, you know, uh, to understand who she was living with and, and uh -huh. why I was doing those things. And, and she did. She just continued to pour that, that heart and soul into me. And that's what saved our marriage. And that's the message we, we bring out there today. I love it. I love it. Doug, you, you are, you and Karen are both amazing people. Uh, honored to, you know, call you a friend and, you know, I, I appreciate you coming on today. You know, survivefirst.us is where you got to go. Um, hearing Doug's story and, and Karen's, it, it's one of those things that uh, really will give you perspective on, on, you know, the struggles that uh, people are going through in the first responder community, as well as the successes that like uh, you, Doug, that are still out there. Um, I always end the podcast the same way. Three questions. Are you ready, Doug? Sure. Oh, I like that. I like that. That's the, you were ready. All right. If you could go back to, <laughs> if you could go back to your 18 year old self and tell yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? I would tell myself to make sure I never forget that my family is going to be the most important thing to me in my life. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. I love that. All right. So the second question is, um, if you could give people two habits that they can incorporate into their daily life to continue to move forward because everybody's going through challenges, struggles, traumas, what would those two things be? Well, I would tell you first, uh, the first thing that I would do is to every day take time for yourself. And, yeah. and what that looks like is um, yourself, not social media, not your phone, not things like that your mental health and your physical well-being um, because the happier, happier you are and the healthier you are and the clearer that you're thinking, the better life's going to be and it's going to be easier to maintain and that's going to help you navigate through the bad times when you can think with a more precision mind. Makes that would sense. be the one most thing um, that I, the most important thing I would think you need to do. Yes, for sure. Oh, I love that. All right, this last one's going to be fun because I have no idea who you're going to pick. If you could have uh, coffee at a firehouse table, in other words, any questions not off the table, I have to answer it. Who would those three people be? And they can be deceased or alive. Who would those three, three people be and why? At a, at, a, like, at, at a firehouse table? Yeah. So right. in other words, no question is off the table. You can You can ask them anything. Oh, okay. Oh man, that that would be difficult, man. I um I am a big fan of Jackie Robinson. Oh, that'd be cool. And uh, um only because you know being a former athlete, pro athlete, um, it, you know I look at my hard times in life, but I I look back at Jackie Robinson at, at what he went through. And yeah, I just have a, a bunch of uh, respect for him. Um, he's one of my heroes uh, for what he did and what he went through. Um. I would say, um, man, I'll tell you, this might sound crazy, especially coming from a guy like me, but I, I, I use this term on my show. I look forward to sitting at the table at King Arthur's table one day. Oh, that'd be and, you know, King Arthur, if you know the history yep. of King Arthur, his table was, you know, big and always room for more. And he had this philosophy that I admired. And 
And uh, that would be number two. And the grand finale would be Jesus Christ. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would like, uh, I hope that I, I get to go there. <laughs> I, I hope and pray on a, on a daily basis. Uh, Karen always tells me she'll throw me a rope. And, um, and climb up. Uh, yeah, she's like, I, I've earned a free pass, so I'll throw you a rope. But, uh, uh, you know, I always tell her, at least Raul will be with me, man. You'll yeah. so, have a few uh, of us down there. Right. I'll have well, plenty of friends down there with me on the bus. <laughs> Chris Scallon will be on the bus with me. Uh, oh, yeah. He'll be uh, first. Rob, you'll, he'll no, be I'll be there. See with Chris. I'll, I'll, I'll be driving. It'll <laughs> <laughs> oh, be a whole it. bus full of cops and firefighters. But, um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it. I love it's it. Hey, man. Doug. It's been so good to have you on. I, I appreciate all our conversations. Make sure you go to survivefirst.us. And thanks for taking the time today, Doug. Anytime, man. I'm honored, man. It's always good to talk to you. Thanks for listening and supporting the Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. Remember, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. And please share this episode with a friend or family. To find out more about Fireman Rob or reach out about a question, go to www.firemanrob.com. Until next time, live your life forged in the fires.